thanks for listening to the podcast. Wanted to give you a quick heads up before we jump into this episode with Morgan Page. Unfortunately, I was dumb and I did not hit record on the microphones. And so this episode is really just salvaging the audio from the cameras. So I used AI and a bunch of tools and tried to clean it up the best I can. Thanks, Morgan Page, for joining the podcast. He shares a lot of really awesome stuff in this episode. Really, really good content, really good stuff to learn from. So um, yeah, make sure you stick around and listen through the whole episode. But just want to give you a heads up before we dive in. The audio is not ideal, but I thought it was worth sharing because there's some really good content in here. So with that in mind, let's jump into today's episode. No, I'm just kidding. You're on tour right now. Yes, the last couple of shows already. Yeah, how's that going? It's good. It's fun to do a co-headline tour. It's a little less pressure. You know, okay. Like, it's a, we, we aren't doing tag team sets. We're doing our, our each our distinct sets. It's really different. So it's a nice treat, man. They buy one ticket. They yeah. both in display. That's cool. What? Yeah, I don't honestly know too much about Artie. He's like pretty young, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, but it's all about right? like, He's true. He, he, I think he's out of his 30s. Yeah, on his 30s. But he's got good genes. Like, he's yeah. 18 or 19. Yeah, that's all he wanted. <laughs> It's wild. I mean, I don't know how he escaped from Russia. He's got a whole story of like, it goes back there right now and then, but you know, I don't think a lot of Russian producers. There's a lot of amazing talent out of there. But he's Russian, right? Yeah, that's wild. How did you guys connect or meet? Um, I think we both were playing each other's material and already, we, our agents kind of drummed with the idea, like, what if we did a co-headline tour? Like, what would that be like? Yeah. And, you know, already it's just been a big fixture and then progressing the house world. So, yeah. So then it's found out. Yeah, man. Well, I've been listening to you for a hot minute. I think like probably 2009, 2010. Um, maybe that was, was that about the time the longest room came out or still after that? Yeah, longest room was 2008 and they came here of 2012. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know you're a big wine connoisseur type of person. Well, thank you, sir. Should be a little cheers. Yeah, yes. cheers. Cheers. Here we go. Ding, ding. Hey. Yeah, so tell me about wine. What do you know about wine? What do I know? Well, you know, I got into it because of Vegas residencies of all things. So I started, because they give you, uh, they give you room credit for food. So I found this loophole that you could use. They, they'll give you, like the wind will give you this crazy food budget they know you to use. Yeah. Unless you just get an A5 steak. So there was like all this, all this wine credit left over I could use. So I would bring bottles back and, and towels. And I built a wine collection based on playing these Vegas venues. Cool. And like, I didn't know wine was good. I thought it was grocery store stuff. And then uh, you, you take a taste of the good stuff, you, you don't go back. Yeah. It's a, it's a pricing hobby, but yeah. Um, but there, there's tons of good wine for like 30 bucks. But, but I would bring back like two, you know, $200, $300 bottle of wine uh, from a show and smuggle it back on the airline. That's awesome. Why not? Yeah. That, I did the same thing when I came back from Israel a couple of months ago. It was like bringing back wine and like this like special vodka and stuff. Yeah. They're like in olive oil. Yeah, I did a little bit of research online because I didn't know anything about wine until a couple of days ago because I knew you were too. <laughs> Have you ever heard of disgorging? Is that when they are, um, they're making like a pet mat or something? Carbon, they have to disgorge some carbonation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, for sparkling wine specifically, I guess. It's like they turn the bottles upside down after they put the yeast in them, yes. the yellow them. And then I guess they let it like do the fermenting, whatever yeast thing. And then they'll freeze the bottleneck. And then, and then they hopped it open and all the yeast shoots out of the top and they reseal it and sell it. There's so much to it, to the winemaking. Like I want to do a wine someday and I will not be growing up from scratch. I have grapes planted in my yard, my slope. And now I like, really, you have like a mini vineyard in your yard? It's like 
like 10 plants. I got a bit and I got to learn how to clone the plants just to, I was just like, what can I learn? What's some random stuff I demand? People were making their own bread. I was like, forget that. That's a lot. That's too much work. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I cloned some grapes. That sounds way for the big year ad. Yeah. I would take that any day. Like if you drink enough wine, you're just like sleepy. If you eat yeah. bread, you just go like a giant fat ball of gluten. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I was talking to some of the winemakers and there's, there's some product that they drink to avoid hangovers. Um, and it's like you, you drink this little vial, like the size of a little shot before like two hours before you start drinking. And so I, I need to test it out. Yeah. When they try. Yeah. Z-Biotic or something. Well, how many times have you been in Colorado? I remember I used to play um, Beta all the time. So like it's only Beta. Yeah, I remember Beta was like, that was like B-Port's club. Really? Yeah. It's a B-Port on it. Yeah, it was like the same guys that, that created B-Port. So I've been playing here probably since at least 2010, 2012. Yeah. That's probably when I was first visiting Denver. Tim, I'll let you Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. But yeah, Denver's a vibe. This is local Colorado wine. Uh, it's called Carboy. Yeah, it's pretty so shout out Carboy for providing. That's what I just drank for today. Thank you. Um, yeah, they've won the best wine two years in a row. I guess best red wine. But anyway, man, no, I'm glad you're on the podcast. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, I know you're on tour. You're playing church tonight. So I'm stoked for that. But yeah, I was just like looking at your website and everything the last week. And I had no idea you built out like this awesome training resource on your website called MP Quick Tips. Uh, you've got like some really valuable resources on there for like producers and anything from like just music tech in general to like quick tips for producing and like dial me your low end, I think was one of one or like low end dairy. It's a lot of really solid tips on there. Like when, what made you want to start the, you know, selfishly it was just to have those tips written down for myself. So I wouldn't forget them. I was like, okay, this worked in the studio. I've been doing music for 25 years and just try to like write down, I've written these ideas in index cards and then. So like they became tweets and over time I would have it. So it was, there was like this auto schedule that randomized the tips that would come up. But I, the idea was like knowledge compression. Can I take these ideas, put them in a, a tweet along and ordering 40 characters. Um, so that was the main point was, and then share it. So it was first selflessly just to my, for myself. So it moves those ideas. And then I thought, why not share these with people? And then I thought, well, if I'm going to share them, why not make them visually appealing? And so beyond these blog posts, you know, maybe each blog post could have 20, 30 tips of it. I was like, what are the best tips I can do? And I made a card deck. I think it was just the beginning of the pandemic. Did a card deck, had it hired a professional illustrator and I sketched out a bunch of initial illustrations, like simple vector illustrations that are like, make the tips actionable. That, have you tried the Brian Hill week strategies? No, I'm not familiar. Those are like little creative prompts that say, like do the opposite order, try and reverse or little creative props could go out of ruts. And so for me, I was like, let's, let's make a product that can get people into the flow state quickly for you. Yeah. So that's really the purpose. I didn't even know the purpose of it until I finished it. I was like, oh, this is about jumping into a flow state and staying there as long as possible. And then being able to do that again, and again. Yeah. Yeah. I think like the flow state is like a hot topic these days amongst like producers and like try and figure out how to get into that. I don't know about you, but like in my personal experience, the mental side of producing outside the technical side is like literally half the battle. It's just like being able to get into that mental space where you feel the freedom to create and get out of your head and get into your body. Yeah. It's like really go through the motions and not overthink the process. And to plumb, plumb those conscious, you know, the, yeah. trying, I think now I'm thinking more about that of thinking about not thinking. 
you know, like getting in the studio and and doing your own top lines and doing it from multiple tracks, turning those multiple tracks and having them morph into the real lyrics. Like, yeah, that's what songwriters do every day. A lot of people don't even mention that most people, that's how it works. Like, they find a shape and a melody and a syncopation and a rhythm for a lead track, and then they just parse that out. I eventually have to make sense of it via the editor, but you've got to start with a mumble track um, and go from there. Yeah. I think that was like one of the things we talked about in your article on your quick tips is like five ways to reduce complexity. And you talked about like um, finding that sweet spot and avoiding diminishing returns is like one of the things you're talking about, but that was pretty interesting. Especially with bubbles. You know, I mean, now I'm thinking even more about game staging, all these little maintenance things that seem nerdy or too technical are really important. Like, yeah, if you get your game staging wrong, you're just, you're painted into a corner later on. And now with, with 32-bit, it's like, I always thought, I knew I'd been using 32-bit to know where like, okay, if I overdid something, I can pull it back and not have equipment. But now I didn't think you could take a really quiet recording. You can pull it up and not have noise. I mean, never thought out until a couple of days ago. Yeah. Uh, Rhodes, someone at Rhodes was talking about that cuts cheating. It's like, so just, there's no reason to report stuff super hot unless you know for a, and you can clip it later. Yeah. But but now it's like, man, you can get so much more flexibility, especially with stems. So I'm doing, I'm rendering all the stems at 32-bit. Really? And, and just finding that sweet spot to record it, keep it in the green. Yeah. You know, and don't go into the yellow. You can do that later on for a really hot mix. Yeah. And it sounds so good. That's, you know. Yeah. So would you say that, like, oftentimes you're, when you're producing or, like, in the early mixing process, whatever you want to call it, like, are you typically producing or working with a clipper or a limiter on the master or do you kind of add that towards the end i love that that method flip to zero that some people have gotten into lately i guess people have been doing that for a while but it's sort of like max it out later on at, at the other side of the fader um and i like to clip it and just bring it down and chop off these peaks where if there's a lot of data in there that is taking away bandwidth like little uh ticks and plosives things like that where they're not adding any emotional resonance to a track and so if you can go in and surgically remove these just find those clips that aren't improving the feel of the track uh and then you have some short rope then your compressors aren't over firing and um, you know not latching on so it's like getting rid of that unnecessary data it's like you don't need every pixel in the image if you're, if you're doing the visuals visual arts it's like with audio it's like get rid of that unnecessary junk that's taking up all the room if it's not adding to your story of your song, it's not serving the song. Sure. So you're every time like clicking, clipping on the insert, like or getting rid of it before, or like um, it's funny. I'll kind of use a clipper to get rid of clip, uh, peaks. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, so go in there and be like, okay, just have it respond. So it's it's chopping off the head of these peaks that aren't adding it in the track. And mm -hmm. so very selectively. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like standard flippers and like that. I think we'll go with Studio DMI was showing and all that stuff for. It's it's funny how sometimes things are counterintuitive. You can clip to make it sound more natural. You can use a phaser to make things more in phase. Like there's weird things that don't make any sense if you think about it, and they just work. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like goes to the method of like if it sounds good, it sounds good. Like yeah, during the end of the day, like while the big crusher, like reducing the information can add more texture. You know, but I mean that is distortion in a way. Yeah, like Ableton's Redux, I feel like is really underrated. Well, you know, thing, you can definitely do that really well. And it, with the Live 11, they redesigned the interface and it gives you a little more flexibility with that dry wet as well. It's yeah. actually pretty cool. The interface is nice. Yeah, it's nice. Well, you're talking about stems and remixing. 
um, I saw you post on Instagram recently. It was like a really fun story about how you got the uh, Stems to do a remix for Warner Brothers for CV Mix. Uh, that's actually a really fun story how like Prince is actually a part of that uh, recording as well for a track. Like, can you share that story? I think that was really, really fun. Yeah. So I think it's funny because he, even though he has 50% writer credit in the song, um, I mean, that was very generous with Stevie Nicks that he came in, the song was almost there. And because they, they heard this song, did a rough demo, like Stevie Nicks heard the song in her head while listening to a Prince song. And they quickly laid it down. Uh, she was at her honeymoon. She recorded the honeymoon suite. They laid down the demo, but it wasn't all there yet. And it needed this, needed this lift that Prince played some keyboards on it, just some arpeggios, some simple things, but that's all it needed to be the engine that kind of pushed the song along. So he didn't even do that much. But he was a big inspiration for the song. He ended up being 50%. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. Yeah. And he was sort of a, like a reluctant collaborator on it, but it turned out to be just what the song needed. And the other funny thing was that Jimmy Iovine produced that record, a full album of her, I think. And he was no more of a music producer back then before he was a Beats guy or an Apple executive. So not retired. Okay. Yeah, I remember you mentioning also in that process of working with those stems that uh, there was like, all kinds of like the Stevie was like tapping the microphone stand and like all kinds of weird artifacts and stuff that I think a lot of producers would probably be like, oh shit, to really mess with this out. But uh, like it added probably some interesting character just having like raw and like imperfect stems to really happen in the beginning. I mean, yeah, talking about that process of like working with that. Yeah, it's like you don't have to get rid of every flaw in the recording. I think if you try to have no noise at all in the recording, it takes the life out of it. Like a little noise in a microphone is great. Yeah, uh, as long as it's, you know, the noise floor is fine. As long as you're not, uh, I did some podcasts where guys were like thumping the table, having the mics, so just to get everything and it was very distracted on them. So yeah. with her, she was smacking the mic and I think it was able to side chain it out enough or you yeah. know, do sort of a, a so you can, you can gate it out or do something selective. Then maybe I still RX, you could, yeah. you could paint that area out. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, sometimes you hear these older recordings and there's tons of bleed and microphone. I think I was doing like a spec remix for Sinatra and he had all this mic bleed where they would just have one mic up and three singers and you record a whole band with like a couple of mics. Uh, so that's people have to isolate. Maybe now with AI stem, like music rebalance and, and us to barracks could do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. If you ever like are trying to work with just vocal audio, um, I've never tried it with, in- never tried it with instruments before, but, uh, it's Adobe. I mean, they're investing really heavily in AI tools right now, mostly for video, but podcasts.adobe.com. I think I mentioned this on the podcast before. It's been amazing. Whenever I've had a guest on the podcast or doing like voiceover work, um, like we just upload it and it feels like cheating. It's better than a lot of such up stuff I've used. Really? And what's, which Adobe product? It's free. It's uh, Adobe, uh, podcasts.adobe.com. Okay. It's incredible. Like I've never played any kind of vocal isolation or like, restoration tool like it. it's the it's amazing yeah. it's gonna be like a there's gonna be ableton generative photoshop fill soon it's gotta be drum fills and <laughs> yeah i saw somebody posting that yeah i believe it man i think that's the future where you know i mean how do you feel about people using music or how people using ai as uh almost like a, a crutch for their music or using it as like a main source for generating a lot of their sounds and music like what do you think about that I think sometimes we can criticize AI as being something totally different. And, and in a way, we've kind of been using it to splice 
Thank you for leaning out spice, I believe for your samples. And yeah, I do. I mean, I put in does. Yeah. Uh, then is that, it's not AI. I know that's what they're, that's kind of where they're headed. Like, and being able to identify these sounds and they're probably heading towards a totally different business model. But I think we, we can wing to heavily on certain tools like Alexander mm-hmm. or Spice. But does that hurt the art? I don't know. With mid journey and things like that, the visual side, it's just, it's insane. I mean, we used that yeah. in the last single artwork. Oh, really? Uh, the same one we were just listening to, had school. We did the, and you can upload the stills from mid journey into Kura or something that turns, it turns into the video. Something goes from the still to the video. Really? What's that calling? I think it's Kura. Um, like C U R A check. K U R A. I'm curious. I edit everything with all. Oh, we gotta do the capture motorcycle. Ah, uh, give me Google. Where did get? It's <laughs> so hard to guess the right one. Like when it's asking. It's like no, it's in this other frame. So yeah, it's like the tip of the stairs is in another. Or caliber. No, no, I think it's Curry. They're also on the same. It is Curry technology. No, that's prototypes. That's the one that um, generator. There's, there's so many that. And it's hard to keep track of it now, but there's the music LM of the AI stuff. I haven't been blown away with yet. I know it's going to be there, but I think on the visual side, the journey. And then there's one, I was just messing with the other day where you could take a word and then it'll create an image and it'll bury the word in the image. So build oh, really? palm trees around, but he, if you put your artist name in there, it'll build a whole tropical scene. You say what scene you want. You say what word you want to hide in there and it'll build that in a pattern. That's interesting. Yeah. Which is nuts. Yeah. Weird. That's yeah. There's so many different tools popping out there right now. It was a really bad ones, but there's some really good ones too. Um, yeah. Once, once chat GPT, the visual modalities got unlocked, it just started last week, I think. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be exciting. Yeah, definitely. But I wonder, I wonder what the audio is going to be like, oh, you could remove this part and mix. If you offload an audio, but why does my mix sound better? It could say. Oh, you should be side chaining with a, a shorter envelope and, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Stop side chaining with the kick and do it to this click instead for one control. You know, totally. <laughs> if we like the AI new clippy. Yeah. But yeah. maybe like on windows is like a little paper clip that would show up and give you tips on your desktop. I want to see like an AI that and inside able to mind, but like, Oh, your kick's a little too loud. But, and especially now that I didn't try, but I just didn't be able to type the voice feature so it's it's kind of like the movie her but you can talk to her yeah and actually talk to such a while back into work that movie was crazy yeah. i had dreams about that manager last year i mean that's gonna happen i mean you think about Neuralink and you know just all the things that are coming uh, in the future it makes you wonder also I, I know that you're really into like the technology thing and you drive Tesla and you have like, did you power like your entire home from satellite or from solar? Yeah. And I got to add the Starlink. I, I didn't pull a trick on Starlink yet. No, that's supposed to be, supposed to be great. Yeah. I, I don't know anybody who actually uses it, but I think it's like, even like about $200 a month or something. It's kind of pricey. Yeah. Whereas you'd have to cut the, the cable plug and really go, you know, get rid of while you're or your whole bundle with cable and stuff and just do that. But yeah, it's a little pricey for just internet. Okay, so you get the standard version for $90 a month. Yeah, that's not bad. But that's in like low capacity areas, up to 5,000 a month if you want like the full package for unlimited data everywhere, I guess. I'm thinking of uh, maybe doing that for remote sets. Like a, yeah, during the pandemic, it could be because drone sets, so you go on a cord with like 
two people with one drone operator, one camera guy, and thinking like, and for one of those, we tried, we did solar. So we had a battery up with the solar, solar panels and it's not so good at a sunset set, but <laughs> and it's like, oh, but I got nothing to juice in the battery, but you don't want to be carrying stuff up to the top of mountains. That's the hard part for this thing to really heavy. But yeah, I ground the whole set off of batteries with those t- that tiny little like Pioneer all-in-one DJ controller What's recorded out speakers. That would be amazing. And that, that's how we, that's how I did a bunch of the sets and just did silent shoots. So I know. But that would be the next step to a live with um, the Cascade did that for the Grand Canyon. They did a, like this bonded modem backpack thing where they, a Tyrodec thing. So they had like this backpack with a bunch of routers and um, 5G modems and it. He did his whole Grand Canyon set live because uh, he had like an access point. That's amazing. Yeah. So I just, you know, the Starlink, you could used to do the same thing. Oh, yeah. That little satellite up totally. And that would be wild. Yeah, I mean, sky's the limit for that kind of stuff. That'll be really interesting. I watched a documentary the other day on uh, nuclear fusion and how close we are to like basically the output is greater than the input of the energy. So it's just like limitless energy. And a lot of private companies are basically all claiming that we're like between 10 to like 20 years away from that. Wow. So then it makes you wonder like you don't have any problems covering anything at that point. So what does that look like for batteries or for anything in the future of what we have? With hydrogen, it probably would be more, uh, you know, like for like smaller household things or that, like batteries for cars. But when it comes to like fusion, and think about how many times you ran out of battery power for something that, I mean, I think in like 30 years, 50 years, that's never going to probably be much of a thing anymore. I feel like it's so clunky with video stuff, like when I was doing live streams, uh, it just batteries seemed stupid. Like I just put telly batteries in to the AC power supply, you know, just. Yeah, have everything wired up and everyone's got batteries. It's like one, it's like several less things to worry about when you're doing a shoot. Yeah, yeah. You know, just, just have them hooked up to a nice big battery or into the wall. Yeah. The world we live in, you always see people over like older and they're like, back in my day, but like, it's going to be weird to see what technology looks like now 15 to 20, 30 years from now. So speaking of music, I, I love your music. I've talked about um, like your synth leads are so thick and juicy and they just have like this beautiful presence like what are some of your favorite scents that you like to use and maybe share a couple of different tricks you do for like just dialing in a lot of your scents yeah so i i like to layer both real scents you know hardware scents and soft scents on the soft scents side i really like serum like atmosphere keyscape all the spectrosonic stuff it's just amazing it is uh about the expansion packs um i feel like i always come back to office here it's just a matter of organizing. If you got to go through those thousands of patches and rank them, yeah, and save them properly. Uh, but I have like, I don't see analog stuff. I don't use as much as I think I would. But I got um, some I got uh, the Osmos synth, which is insane. When you can do vibrato on the on the keys, you can. It has this crazy afterjudge where it looks like you're playing the five different patches. You're playing one patch, but if you just do a very light touch per slow attack it sounds different you strike it you release it has a whole different sound yeah it's an mpe it's nice it yes it's almost like uh like a nice synth how to debut with the rolly right yeah, it's, it's like, like rolly done right yeah it's like i had some of the other rolly like the mini rolly keyboards and they just it just felt hard to play yeah. and this one is like for especially for pads pads and for playing um 
stringed or flute instruments where it's very hard to get the back of the higher right. Uh, some cashmere who's got to get one of these things. Like, it's it's already made me like, it's helped me do that fire song or it's everything for itself. That's cool. It's not crazy expensive. It's, it's average. You know, listens are like over two grand and the hardware, because of the workflow, I at least have hardware less, but I have a profit away. I have a bunch of days and stuff. It'll be six. Uh, um, I have the hydrosynth. I love I love little keyboard. Like the hydrosynth is this tiny little keyboard. This, um, was it the Explorer? I forget which I have, but you, you can run off batteries if you want, but it's uh, just having these huge sounds like using that just for bass lines or, so I, this past year, I think the best investment price to deal was getting those synth racks. So you can have multiple layers of synths be playing them all at once instead of doing layer by layer. And you do it like the relay show style, you know, Paul Schaefer, like having playing your chords with one hand, your lead, a mother synth or in bass on a one, and you come up with totally different compositional ideas. That's really cool. Um, even this week, I put a synth on top of my upright piano, and, which is not a typical pairing. And I found it pretty quickly because it fell off of almost, I almost trashed my OB6. But like, I've seen some guys like John Bryan put their keyboard on top and play the bass with that. So all in like a bass drum and then play their leads on the piano, like cool voices. But because you're composing in real time, mm-hmm. you can write songs much faster. Versus like, all right, let's loop it, do another pass. Hey, that's an yeah. Have you ever used an instrument rack to like split like a bigger keyboard in half in zones? That's another great way to do it. Yeah, and you'd also do that too if you if people were saying only have one keyboard, maybe you could yeah, want to do that. Too. Put it in zones or just stack it completely. If you want to have everything fire at once, you could do that too. Yeah. Um, or yeah, like an atmosphere of you different pad zones. Uh, like the live the live mode around too is pretty cool. But there's something about like muscle memory where I go, okay, this bass is over to the left and then this pad's over to the right. And you're just, you're operating, you're standing up and operating this different space. Yeah. When I started, I had it, I've been making music standing and just with an MPC and a couple of MIDI keyboards. And in college, it was like, I had this cheap Ikea uh, vertical stand. And it was like, because I was standing, I made different music. I mean, yeah, I think like that goes back to the flow state a little bit, kind of getting into that motion of like getting comfortable and playing. Yeah. Physically, like tangibly playing south. People with push, you know, I used to push. That's yeah. a different mode. Yeah. And I'll be focusing more on the, the shapes of chords. Yeah. So I'll play like triangle chords. So I help or invert those with my left hand, and then I'll be playing the lead with my right, like doing arpeggios with right hand. Yeah, and you get totally different results because it's different muscle memory than the fretboard on a guitar or piano. Yeah, and then yeah, that's the, I'm excited for the new Push Three to arrive um, because it's just like this. The pads and the MP are like so sensitive. You can do it's like up to twenty. I might be wrong. It's like twenty different zones have been a pad basically for you mm-hmm. like how to dial it in so it's like there's so many different things that we do within just one little pad on the on the push three i gotta try that because i mean it's now this having the osmos keyboard is the first like really good mpe example i've seen where i think specter socks might be working on some stuff once they convert on this here so that you can meet trigger it with this mpe control it's going to be insane because you're getting way more depth to your patches Instead of having these different patch, you're just playing that sound differently. Yeah, exactly. I think downside is enables that you run into quantizing all these layers. Like now I've got, you know, it's like 12 layers of mini coming in. You know, it's like, would you, can you quantize all of those or can you just do the notes? And you'd have to kind of draw in. Like if I want this uh, filter effect 
to be on the beat. I'm going to have to go in and manually add some of that in. So if anyone knows a really good solution, I know some of the actual live devices that'll quantize automation lanes. But so when it comes to MIDI specifically, and this isn't going to just the timing of the MIDI, there's the MIDI quantize um, like device, but you're talking about like automation modification of like the, the yeah, um, match channel pressure. Pressure. Yeah, pressure, yeah, channel pressure, pressure stuff. Uh, where, and you know, honestly, what I've done lately is I've started to record synths live and not quantize them. Like, have definitely have very quantized synths, but then I'll use the house mode, so I just won't use it in MIDI mode. Yeah. And I'll just, let's get some, some bugs and some quirks with it, but I'll just record it live. And so not all the notes are hitting at the same time. It's like a strum. Yeah. And then it's like just arrives on the beat, and that sounds so cool. Like yeah. Just spread those notes out. It's like that flam kind of sound. Yeah. No, yeah. Sounds so different. It's like just like you know, even with piano, I mean, you could do that obviously with the analyze of grooveful and it's and yeah, but like, what? Why would you have all the notes firing at once? I, I was I did that for some of these songs, it was just like bam, all the notes in the chord voice once. It's like no, just does that to be strum, but just spread out just a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So maybe that's maybe the, the third note is on the grid. It's on the quarter note. Yeah, probably be a lot easier to play that if you can. Typically, like, I'm not a keyboardist, I'm more of a drawer than anything, so usually I'll go to the MIDI clip and I'll just, like, highlight one note at a time. I just hit, like, command the arrow right or left and just, like, give it a little yeah. nudge, just a little baby nudge. I have to play everything. I know a lot of, I'm kind of jealous of guys. I remember there's so many producers that were, I talked to some of the producers and they'd be like, what's a converter? I'm like, what do you mean it's a converter? And they're like, I don't use one because it's all sauce and so I just pencil along with MIDI. I'm bringing the audio in. Yeah. I mean, you gotta converge your your modder at some point, but but it was so funny talking to like really talented producers that were like, I owe me for a input converter. Yeah. And and they wouldn't have any latency issues, but I can't like jam out on the on the you know pencil tool. For me, it's like I gotta play that live and yeah, drop it in there. What did you grow up like taking piano lessons? Like was that a big part of your music channel? A couple of years of piano and it was just Theory was so dry, and I think that a lot of music education turns people off to the possibility of music band is so stiff, and it's still the same way. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've got two young girls now, and I want to change the way that they learn music because it's still like a rent a uh, bassoon or a, a French horn you know, for two thousand dollars, or rent it from the school, and it's you've got this expensive instrument. It's not going to carry you through the rest of your life. Some people, maybe they're going to go off to a conservatory and study it, but if it was a guitar or or piano, piano is a lifelong instrument. And, but that's not part of it. Damn, I guess it would be like an independent study. Yeah. Oh, I, I really think that there should be more of like these songwriting schools up, um, with someone in Stockholm where they just surround kids with instruments. I mean, music card up, um, where like Max Martin, sort of, or my most famous online, where they, they surround the kids with instruments they say pick the one that speaks to you yeah that's cool see that's awesome because typically it's like what instrument do you ought to play and you choose it stick with it rather than being able to test and experiment with a bunch of their commons yeah and like would you even have the opportunity to try like i tried cello like all these instruments are so hard to get one note out of one yeah to get one really solid note with the cello it takes a lot of work and kind of have the rosin it's got to like the the bow has to be coated properly and yeah uh, and you worry about breaking this expensive instrument. Yeah, for real. Thousands of dollars. Yeah. 
It's a beautiful. My mom has so much patience because that shows the drums at a very young age. And that just <laughs> banging drums and the whole family's wearing your clothes. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really interesting with the future of music education and now I know that you did a lot with VR, which I'm like to also talk about, which is really cool. I think that the future of education is going to be like really enhanced with VR and VR technology and even with music. Like if you had the instrument, I imagine even just wearing a headset, like the the learning experience could be a lot more visual and dynamic, expressive, even with like having a whole new world to learn inside of. And I think that's where a lot of it's going to be going. Yes. Not even just with music, but just learning in general. You know, I know there was like a doctor who was working on uh, cancer, uh, like a cancer treatment. And he said that he couldn't visually see the depth of detail and interact with whatever he was trying to do. And so they were actually building the model in VR for him to be able to interact with like these cells and stuff, which is really interesting. Yeah. There's so many different ways to use it. I feel like, to be able to manipulate things, it's all about how natural the interface feels. Um, like some of the or painting tools in VR, uh, there's just some incredible tools and then some games that are kind of gimmicky. And we did some projects with Beat Saber, which is fun, you know, like rhythm games. Yeah. And, or, and it's whatever can make people excited and then buy my keep them moving their body. Um, it's just a cool experience. It was fun to have a song in there, but it was signed exclusively just to Beat Saber. Yeah. Um, so cool. But I don't know, now it's like I went on this deep dive into 3D printing recently. And then it's like that world of creating 3D models and seeing how things fail and how they work. I'm just like, now like on this, we're so much more intuitive with, uh, with a headset. We can get a push and call the models, boardroom and design it, like to print it later. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. Yeah. You have to build three. It feels very strange to be using a mouse or touch head to flip, keep flipping these models around. I mean, if you're using your hands, so. So we, you know, we did some VR video experiences for Oculus. It was so expensive to do it that, thank God, like Facebook or Meta, now they paid for it. But uh, it was it was pretty early days, like waiting for the, the Quest out. And I remember that it was just funny early on. There's so many iterations of it. Uh, I think now I'm really shocked that Apple has theirs. Yeah, yeah. that was that's pretty amazing. And I hear it's actually pretty pretty good. Yeah, the vision's cool. Um, you know, the other stuff. It's funny because. I think some of the, all these products haven't taken off, but they're incredibly compelling. When you go in and use some of the experiences, it's truly mind-blowing. If you've got a powerful enough PC and yeah, got the space to do it, got the, the real estate, yeah, the vibe, the HC vibes was really impressive. So for anybody who doesn't know, like when you were working on this project, how long ago was that, the DR song that you created? Might have been five or six years ago. Okay, yeah. And, and like the, it was almost a, more of a lyrical experience, wasn't it? Whereas a lot of lyrics that were dynamic kind of coming at you as the music was playing. Was it in like surround or like, like, yeah, yeah, no, it's a good point. Cause so we did a thing with DTS, which was like a, a sort of like Dolby surround sound, but, but, uh, it's like Dolby Atmos. So we did DTS, uh, headphone X, which would basically on, on headphones, you it would sound like you have, uh, 11.1 surround sound, uh, uh, which was really cool, but, but. Weird stuff happens when you start to take the stems and push it into, be you know, surround would just be kind of like the horizon, but these have overheads and there's sound behind you and in front of you that your brain doesn't always interpret this. You wouldn't think it doesn't just instantly sound amazing, and in fact, you actually hear more flaws because you're like, oh, the background bubble and scramble that time and start spreading these things out, and it might sound a little less easy. So there was some stuff to learn with that. 
But so we did one for in the air and did one for uh, open hour. And the idea was like, what would it be like if you were, if the song is a world and you're inside that world? That's versus the song just being projected at you from speakers. Yeah. Uh, which is really cool. It was just, it's immersion. That was the goal. Yeah. Uh, one was on, on sort of on rails experience. The in the air, uh, in the air was of your flying through space. And as you move the headset, the sonority changes. So that's the dragging. That's negative. And then the other one was more designed for mobile for gear VR. That's what it was called at the time, the headset. So that was cool because you could, you could view it in your timeline feed on Facebook on the news feed with your phone and move around and it would pan around like I'm 360. Okay. The audio was probably still stereo at that point. I just, yeah, I feel like it got kind of mixed down okay. to stereo. Yeah. It's not, yeah, I think not only now it does, does have Apple support. And, but, um, you know, with each iteration of it, it was just cool to have a visual component locked to music that wasn't just a standard music video. Yeah. It was like you were, you were interacting with music video. That's really cool. Like, I love seeing artists like you push the boundaries like that rather than I'm just going to release other music video and try to make it creative and put it out there and then move on. Like, you're trying to, like, break the boundaries of, like, what a typical music video looks like and doing something creative like that. Yeah, it felt in line with what we were doing with, like, the tour. We did a 3D tour. We did, um, we created these environments in Unreal where there was lyrics coming at you and the lyrics would actually follow you. So you wear 3D glasses and... it's funny because it has pros and cons to that too. Like people will get so distracted, they stop dancing to watch the visuals. Yeah. What's wrong? Oh, they just kind of mesmerized. Yeah. So like, it's really important to use the technology in a way that serves the show and use it at the right ball loop. Don't use it too much. I mean, have some songs that were flatter, and then others that would really pop with three D. See so that contrast. So all of these tools, yeah, have different sometimes unexpected results, and it was so cool. So we, these were LEDs that are made for. 3D visuals, they were offset. And so if you took your glasses off, you'd still see the images and be like a little fuzzy. That's cool. Yeah, so it's like still an environment within an environment, basically. Yeah, for people to be in. And the cool part is you could design a, a virtual DJ booth so people can see that, like, oh, maybe that the, there's all these geometric shapes surrounding the things that you're DJing or key, but there was like a, 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 a fake booth that wasn't only there. But we just cre- create that illusion with the LEDs. Interesting. Yeah. That's really, yeah, I love that. That's amazing. It makes you wonder, like, I mean, the future of music videos, as we think of, like, rather than just being like a flat screen that you're watching on YouTube, I mean, the future when everybody has VR and it's more widely adopted eventually makes you wonder the possibilities of like being able to interact with people or even a live show. I think Tomorrowland did something like that. They tried to do almost kind of like the VR experience, like the VR ticketing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But if even at like another level, like imagine just looking over at your friend and you see your friend's avatar and you're actually with each other, but you're in a different, and you're in a, you're in your own home, you know, but like you're actually with your friends and you can walk around like you would in a real festival in a real environment and like go up and see DJ, you can walk around, you don't have to be around a bunch of sweaty people. Yeah. Like breathing on each other. And Obviously, there's people that all the Jubeda want to go in those environments. Exactly. Like Coachella, General Admission, the Saraton. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to worry about your outfit or, you know, if you're too tired to like be social, respond to who we are and you can hang out and actually talk to other people and not be screaming over the music, but also and enjoy the, the actual live experience. Yeah. I definitely think that's going to be happening. Yeah. Yeah. You need some alternatives. It, it, it doesn't have to be just all or nothing. Like, yeah. And I think like the Charlotte one was cool. It didn't feel as immersive 
Right. It was a little more on rails, but it, I think it was like a great step to yes. coming to where it, it should be. Right. I've got books to you can buy like champagne and how it shipped your house, like tamale and champagne. And champagne. Yeah. <laughs> but that is it's just fun to have that like that at home experience. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. I mean, this is the Ableton Live podcast. I'd be curious to hear like if you were on a desert island and you could only take a couple of Ableton Live devices or audio effects or instruments with you, like what would you take? I think the LFO tool and Max for Live, like not the not the uh Doodle one, but the the one that I just I use that with the EQ8 and yeah. use the Chimando filter, it doesn't change the shape. Yeah, to saw to set sixteenth note to eighth notes. I, I use that and that's just scratch at the surface, like just map that to, uh, I mapped it to the foreman and all the little ultra boy sound toys and cool. Just so it's like just oscillating, changing the format just a little bit. Yeah. I never thought I'd be using Max for mine devices. Really? And I just, I use that like every day. Mm-hmm. Other good to third party ones. Well, you know, I mentioned Omnisphere and some of the synths. Vital is a really good do a lot. Just, yeah, I don't know what So Saturn would be Desert Island. I think my flow is getting more. Uh, set it and forget it. And so I'm using the distressor as my, like, if I could pick one compressor, it's the UAD distressor. Oh, Sam, I love that thing. I'm like, yeah. it, you can make it be subtle. You can have it be extreme. Like, why not use that? I, I always think, like, what compressor I'm going to use. I think I used to really get into like, comparing, uh, like, SSL versus Neve. And I mean, for some people, that makes a big difference. But I feel like it's better to have just good sound design, good, good choices, better composition better process and chains in general. Yeah. And I like having, I have like a little an, strip of analog stuff that I have like the Avalon 737, a Purple Audio MC77 and an LA-2A. That's like my go-to hardware chain, but I'll use that for everything. That's just for bubbles. Yeah. Uh, and some U5s, I spoke that one here. Oh, yeah. And even cheap stuff. I like the Daft Punk compressor, the 3630 by Yeah. It sounds incredible. It sounds better than $3,000 compressors. I've sold expensive compressors and used this 60, 60 bucks on Craigslist. Oh, nice. But the workflow of external gear just takes longer. So I'll get out sell it to software. Uh, what else? Desert Island. I think the fat filter stuff. Uh, and that compressor actually sounds incredible. That's the that's that's at the sleeper. Yeah, for C2 is ridiculous. Like you can do so much, really get crazy sounds of, with very few artifacts. Uh, I use that limiter. I love the. Um, the pro, the pro and B is pretty good with five filter, but I like the uh, the maximizer UAD Pro Maximizer, the old one of their older clunkins. It does like a three dead maximizer. I remember Hardwell, a bunch of bunch of guys would tell me to use that, but they just set it and then keep it in zero. I don't like the input. Um, I'm afraid of that. And what else? Oh, like the chamber in terms of reverbs and things. Oh, Valhalla, Valhalla still. And I don't know how many uses it, but. The delays, yeah, yeah, the delays, yeah. Like every like instrument itself. Yeah, and these we got some good free plugins too. Um, but all that, I mean, the super massive. I even messed around that too. Yeah, that was really cool. It's got like a frequency modulator, a freak mod, and a reverb and a delay and a baby. It's yeah. got like a combo of all of them. Oh, another one that's a lot of people don't know about oh, the super uh, Paul Stretch. Who use that? No, oh it's like that's the one that you could take at. You can take a, like a one second of a Justin Bieber song, a girl with Justin Bieber, and it turns it to like Cerber and Ross. Like, and take like a millisecond, like a one second sample, and it's fresh it up 14 minutes. That's deemed excessive. Yeah. 
this thing. Yeah. Extreme tired stretch. Anyone listening hasn't tried this yet, go try it. It's absolutely insane. Hall X stretch by Onosaurus. It's the only standalone that you have to, but it'll still, it'll render it out and just bring the file back. I mean, that's um, interesting. Yeah, there is a, a plugin called Lossy. Uh, oh, is that Good Hertz? Yeah, Good Hertz. That thing's kind of fun. You can get some like really weird, okay, this thing, you can get some really weird kind of stress artifacts out of audio as well. Very pleasing. It is. Yeah. I've I only use the tremolo and the volt compressor with them. Yeah, which is fun. I've gotten some fun results from it. Like if you take any kind of like sub send or pad or something that's a little bit of a longer kind of smooth sound, you can add a lot of texture to it with this thing. Like I'm trying. It's really fun. It's cheap too. I think it's, I don't know, they give it to me. That would not cheap. It's 79 bucks. I thought it was cheap, but not. Maybe there's a bottle. Buy on Christmas and it'll be a deal. Is there any other, was was set like there was an 80s reverb that they had or something crazy? Have you played with a um, spectral resonator? Yes. Oh, that's the best. That thing is so good for just like stretching and doing weird stuff to audio. The only thing I've heard is it adds a delay to it, adds some weird latency, but I just, I just warp it. I just freeze it. And that is, uh, I I do that and I send it to MIDI to like chords and stuff and then crank up the decay on Wander. I think dangling. Yeah, it says 32 milliseconds latency just over and over in a blank cod frame. I wonder if it's. Yeah. Like, it's got some weird stuff. Or doubt now there's like a big CPU spike with this when it auto updates sometimes. But that, even with Apple Silicon, it's like. I think with Flight 11.3, they actually tried to mitigate some of that. I don't know if you're on the nearest one, but Hank 3, I read that in the update. Um, there's so we require their body layer. Yeah, they try to reduce the latency. I still think they could optimize it for Apple Silicon a little better. And it's such a jump forward. Like, oh my God, it'd be yeah. as Mac Studio. Yeah, like, I mean, for the money compared to I've been, the trash can Mac Pro that I had, I think 13, that was nine grand to get their easy dude. Pretty, yeah, there's going to be landfills of those everywhere in like five years. With easy with them. It's yeah, like, like 50 bucks or 100 bucks. Yeah, yeah, people are trying to get rid of them. I mean, it's, I mean, even the, the big towers, like the old macros, which I'm so glad it, you know, sorry to even bought that tower that is like, it's like slower than, it's like a $15,000 tower that's slower than the Mac Studio. Yeah. You buy an M1, it's quicker. Right? There's no fan. There's no, I mean, there's no noise, right? With uh, the M chips. Yeah. Just great. Yeah. It's so, I feel like the machine throw it, it's hot. But if you touch it, it's like still cool. Yeah. It is. That's cool. But I think it's nice to see some C changes. That like, like, I think for a while in the audio world, there were not anything, any major changes involved diminishing returns. So, yeah. Converters have gotten as good as they're going to get for what you hear from here. And then I, the recently, I think, you know, Osmos keyboard, that's, that's going to be a game changer for sure. Uh, and obviously, them, but none. And then and all they had is stuff, of course. Yeah. But everything else has kind of been like as good as it's done get for a while. We'll see. We'll see. That's what I always think until something. Yeah, but who really knows? It's crazy. So another thing is like you're pretty well known for your vocals. I mean, you have a lot of songs with vocals. Um, I'd be curious to know like what does your typical vocal processing look like? Do you like to record a lot of vocals in person? Do you usually record about those sounds? I feel like I will record people in person and I get better results sometimes because I actually can record them the wrong way, like too not sometimes and it has a little character mm-hmm. so i'll use that 
channel strip of the the, Avalon, the 737, the MC-77, just like an 11, 1176 clone, and the LA-2A. So we numbers. Uh, <laughs> but I'll have like that simple kind of tried and true processing chain that I have no local booth. I don't even use the eyeball or any of those acoustic treatments things. I mean, my studio is treated, but I think my, my biggest songs I've done in person that I, they're so tedious. Like we will do, we'll start with the mumble track right there and record that and chop into Alex before we even get to like the key phrases in the song. Mm-hmm. But they're singing right behind me. They're not in the booth. And I love that result because I, there's so much in the competent vocalism your choices that, I think it's been just for the sake of speed and sort of the top line process that the music world works. Uh, a lot of times I just get stems and there's not a whole lot I can do to them. Yeah. And, you know, I have uh, backing parts and I'll often use the light version instead of just the dry, but, um, but it's, you'd think, I don't know, I don't get to hear all these other interesting clicks and outtakes. And so I miss that part, but I don't miss the tediousness of comping vocals yeah that let me know my own vocals which is really interesting and seeing like okay how little origin can i use just stop i'm still leaning on it but yeah. like how how can i get a stronger voice to sing guide vocal up and maybe this song is right for me maybe this is a song in a couple of my own songs i don't really like publicize that i usually do background so yeah i, I think i know that you sang actually in fact i do the best i can and, and sometimes it really works well for the track sometimes i'm like Ooh, like that's just not right that's not your range yeah and I really, you know, it's funny, I know Ari was taking some vocal lessons with Valerie Morehouse, who did uh, Drew Chain Smokers, um, Sam Smith. She does all, all the pop stars. And I think that's really cool, though. Like, you don't have to have the best be born with the best pipes in the world. But if you can find your best voice and, and strengthen it. Yeah. So I'm trying to get better getting sings. But it's the fact that I know how to process the vocals and I have a very special way of layering them. It's so cool to it to your own vocals. The other problem is that you've heard the song too many times. Yeah. So like when you have collaborators, it's like you're paying for that, that distance and that freshness of ears, just like you're out of a mix engineer if you've heard it too many times. Yeah. So, okay. So what I do to get this out that I, that I like to do, obviously there's a lot of top end EQ, but it's really more about doing whisper takes, uh, getting the lowest level with hitch, which is hard to do. And it can strain the vocalist vocal cord sometimes. Really? Uh, but I want to, I just have them do, once we've settled on the lyrics, uh, you know, they'll do your background vocals before you figure out that you finalize your vocal, <laughs> your lyrics, because then you're going to go back and record everything. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. I mean, because you're so excited to get to the window dressing. It's like, oh, no, the course is different now. Right. I'd like to go and do the whisper takes, do mid-range doubles, full, full version doubles, um, do harmonies, do whisper takes to the harmonies, and then blend those in, and you get this fullness, depending on the vocalist. Some vocalists, the voice is so thick that it just doesn't sound right to have layers. And they're too, or too raspy sometimes. But even, let's see, like, the girl that did Longish Road, and we did a ton of stuff together. Uh, I just know how to treat her voice. It sounds different on her other records. We've been working for so long together, but I just, she sings very loud. I'm trying to get her to sing more quietly and then amp that up right on on kind But uh, yeah, it's like, I think a little bit of 2EQ from the Avalon is nice. But I have the software, just good plugins. I feel like good hardware will allow you to use less plugins, which is nice. You get a good starting, uh, starting one. Oh, Manly, Massive, Massive, Batsman, 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 Batsman,
how could you not? Like, everything sounds better. Oh, yeah. Not the main mix of that one. I used to use that more on buses. And so that, oh. um, that's incredible. Yeah, it is. Yeah, well, it's standard clip. It's another one. Standard clip's great. Yeah, I've just had my master. So, I was on uh, the interface. I believe it's all. It's, it looks like it does X8. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really does. It's so ugly. But it sounds amazing. I feel like I can drive stuff and get it really loud with that thing, and it still sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like those Linus dang five. Doesn't it do like a hundred and something oversampling, hundred and something times yeah. oversampling? It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, this this plugin. For anybody watching the video, it's stupid. How far does it go? Yeah, two hundred and fifty six times oversampling. Yeah, the big computer's instantly just gonna start crying. Yeah, it's like what computer you running? Uh, yeah, exactly. Obviously, it's funny. I do for I run everything at. Uh, 44k 32 bit. I know a lot of guys do 48, but it's like, who's writing stuff at 96? Like, what can we be on? Yeah, do you have like yeah. a session server array somewhere? Like, is it your composer? Like, if you're uh, Tom Wilkenberg of Junk Excel and you're doing you're running strings, you have like a closet full of servers just running your Vienna strings for Mad Mad as the more power to you. Yeah, um, like a lot of work. Oh, another one, gotta keep thinking of the uh, Z, uh, the Dark Zebra one. And Zebra synth from UA uh, Audio. That's UA has a yeah. You have Zebras and yeah. I never got heard of those. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Zebra, the workhorse set. Yeah, that's what we hear that all the Hans Zimmer stuff. Turn. Yeah, I mean that's. In, I think the hard part now is managing overwhelm because there's so many good choices, like. That's true, man. There's a lot of information overload and people just keep buying plugins and still don't know how the song, right? Right. That's a dangerous thing. I actually heard you talk about that in one of your interviews about how like songwriting first before engineering. And a lot of people get hung up on just trying to tweak the EQ and everything else to try to get something really good. But in the end of the day, the song needs more work. It's not necessarily just making a great check, you know? Yeah. It's so easy to keep polishing something that's just, it's not resonating out but i'll hear demos i mean there's so much good music coming in like it's rare here bad these days but uh from what i hear is that there's some stuff where i'm like wow they can really process this that probably we're focusing on parallel compression and not like oh man a better vocal hook or totally jump compression is not going to make your song any better exactly <laughs> yeah and make it punch a little more and then you get the vocal maybe the vocal jump out better or but it's like, yeah, it's window dressing at the end of the day. And it's more of a commodity skill. Like, I mean, not to write off engineers, but if you start with better samples and you arrange it properly, you don't have to do so much mixing and mastering at the end. Yeah, that's true. Sam, yeah, I feel like the more I've been producing, the more picky I'm with my starting samples rather than trying to morph it into something interesting, which also still happens too. Sometimes it's creative accidents, happy accidents that can come out of just messing with sounds. Like, yeah, starting with the really good quality sounds or samples or caches makes all the difference. And I think if you spend too much time on one sound or it just mutate, it won't necessarily get better. So sometimes different is not better. Mm. And I remember trying, I was like auditioning all these hardware compressors on the master mix. So like, oh yeah, is this any better? I'm like, no, sometimes it just got worse and it's been $3,000 less, you know, special SSL clone and like, such a waste of money and what a rabbit hole, you know. So I've gotten way more out of buying good instruments. You know, I mean, every studio should have a guitar and a piano and various synths. Like, I've never 
mad that I got an instrument, but I'm mad that I went down a rabbit hole with too much processing here. Do you feel like you equally use all of the instruments that you purchase in your studio? No, no, I, ver- I don't use the bass guitar much at all because it just doesn't have that presence that a synth bass has. Yeah, uh, but it's funny. I'll like I'll sit down. I'm this old Steinway. It's seventy years old, and I mean, I, f- I didn't realize how much a new Steinway costs. It's insane. It's insane. But, uh, a house or a dog. This is like a an old, cheaper upright, but but it has a certain sound to it that I'll layer it in, but. I use it more for writing than for, I'll, I'd rather use like the atmosphere piano or something and then layer that underneath. But it, it just sounds like there's, it's so sensitive, like every little sound of the hammer and the foot pedal, the sustain pedal, it's almost hard to use that. I like to play things much more simply. I think now my thing is, okay, play it through, I'll do a take with some chord progressions and then play it half as complex. Um, it sounds so much better. And then I'll, I'll fix the pitch drift and melody. So that's my favorite thing to do is take take older instruments or acoustic instruments that run to those. I use Melodyne more for instruments than vocals. Really? I use, I just, I'm too lazy. I use Avitune and I want to use the graphical view. I'll just do the Avitune vocals. And Melodyne, you're going to get more natural result, probably, unless you had to really pencil things in. But, but man, like, if I notice that the piano, the tuning, it's never perfectly in tune. You know, like you get it in tune, but it's always like, there's a little bit of drift in there, and I'm just to hear that. I'm like, oh, I can't. I'm, we're, our ears so used to everything being up tune. It's true. Uh, it's almost like keeps you from using the live instruments because they're just a little off. But that can add a nice vibe to it. Yeah, it's like a real mess. Just a little bit. And it'll layer better and have less phase issues probably because it's just in one string, the, uh, the, you know, the action at that part of the neck, the tension's a little different. Or, mm. Yeah, and that's your mic placement's off and you have two mics. Yeah, you got to might use utility to fix that fit. Yeah, yeah, phase is probably something. I wish someone would explain it easier. But I saw a Dabalef post recently, like how to you know visually see a uh, well, cheaper box is really good for that. You can see the phase in your side chain if like the bass and the kicker fighting each other. Mm-hmm. But still, probably better just use your ears. But if you can see it visually, that is a really handy tool. Yeah, typically I've just been really lazy when it comes to that. If I think something might be out of phase, which honestly doesn't happen in very often, but I feel like if it is, I'll just throw utility on it on the end at the beginning and then just like hit the left or right and just see if anything sticks out or if it disappears. Yeah, if you're, it's very easy to go in and over-engineer and be like, okay, every sound is in key. Yeah. I, I've tuned everything in the track and everything's in octaves or thirds or fifths yeah. and everything's in time. We could like suck the whole life out of the track. Yeah. 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 I mean, phase is one of those like things people love to really exaggerate or talk about, but I also feel like as long as you're not doing any kind of crazy widening or if you're not um, recording an instrument or something that has more than one microphone, you're probably fine. I mean, you're probably not dealing with much phase. It's mono the bass up to a certain point. Yeah. And I, I used to get obsessed with like, clubs that would sell everything to motto and me like mom and it's true i mean it's in the club you're never like the dj with you wow this sounds wide this sounds great and then the audience is not hearing that. yeah they're not hearing about wide track it's true and they're not in the center of the track yeah that's it's true too so it's like this weird game of you're hearing you get this myopia than the dj blue like this is this is wider and louder and better and it's sort of um it's sort of like a false goal to be chasing. I just think, I just try to make sure nothing is 
totally collapsing. You know, things are not falling out completely because then you have a problem oh, yeah, on modern systems. I think if, if things are collapsing and falling out completely, then something is definitely wrong in a mix. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, it's going to sound worse in mono than Serio and a little quieter, but I don't know. I used to just obsess over that. Now I'm like, but now it's just like, if you can get into sound wide and then perfectly translate mono, then come be mixed. It's a good day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's true. And it's trade-offs though, right? Like yeah. how wide do you need the shaker to be? <laughs> Dude, that shaker was so good. The shaker sounded yeah, that's like the widest shaker. It's like saying that's the saltiest dish I've ever had. And it's like the best shaker ever. <laughs> that auto tan. Yeah. Um, yeah. I appreciate the, the 16th that I will paint with tan. Yeah, it's just like at a hotter and most beauty one degree phase. It's just like never mind. Yeah, I would. So uh, speaking of like playing live, uh, are there any like really fun or wild tour moments you had? Maybe not this tour, but in the past that are worth sharing. Just like memorable things that have happened to you on tour. Too many. Well, I'll tell you, hey, when things, when something terrible happens, equipment wise, technology, it's usually a silver lining and it makes me reevaluate the gear that I'm using or the process. Like I had, uh, I had this Allen Heath Zone 3 that I used to around packet. I bring one of the mixer. I was playing in uh, in New Mexico, man, and the sprinkler system went off in the club. They had shorted up the mixer. And went, no, it was white noise, and they had no rentals, and I had other shows on the tour. Is this during your set? Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah, and they're like, like can you just hop in the CD jing? So I was up like a laptop set. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and they looked at my tour insurance for that. Hopefully, I think we can dry it out. Okay, I've got, but it was the Allen Hink stuff's hard to rent, but it, that forced me to use Pioneer and just use that as a sound card, the DJM 900. Yeah. And with that turned out to be a huge improvement and much wild for touring, much easier to get. Yeah. And then that led to me to eventually transition to the CJs. But it's funny. And, and also another nightmare is that happened. I was playing at Burning Man and the playa dust was in all the buttons. So I went up to we have to start my set. I press two, nothing, nothing was working. I press play, nothing's working. Like, shot away, I play my set. What? So I played off the hot cues, which a lot of you guys don't use. And I still don't understand why DJs don't use hot cues because they're the best thing ever. Like, yeah. I'm bring markers are cool, but hot cues and shit. Absolutely. That's what I've used. Color code them, use the tools. A lot of guys are very stubborn. They don't want to try new things. Yeah. Because they get a little bit um, pretentious. Yeah. Pretentious or superstitious about using the stuff, yeah. changing things. Um, it's like even when they change the filters on the Pioneer things, guys were freaking out. But anyway, so that led to, I worked with Pioneer on the next version of CDJs, so I don't clear weather seal. They created a Burning Man setup environment in their lab in Tokyo. So I consulted a little bit on this project and I didn't realize they used some ideas because they, they'd never gone to Burning Man. So I said, send the engineers working the CDJs to Burning Man. Yeah. And like, cause there's probably. 500 pairs of CDJs being used it's all at once throughout Burning Man. Usually they keep them in garbage bags, keep the dust out. Yeah. It's not, I mean, I've had friends, I have around personally, but one of my friends does lasers for the main stage at Burning Man. And she like, his entire rack of all this laser and everything just spends weeks cleaning everything. It's just a mess. I can't even imagine just getting this stuff out. It's just such fine powder. Yeah. I mean, Rex, you're, it's, it's already off your skin. Yeah. So, oh, I got one more horror tour story for you. Uh, so Coachella, you only get 45 minutes to play. 
So this years ago, way back, I think it was 2012, I was playing, playing the afternoon, playing Saraton, and SSDs weren't as cheap or as reliable as they are now. Yeah. And I, I never had any crashes, never had any problems with the computer. And I get up and the stage starts shaking and the hard drive goes into emergency mode and locks. And it goes, oh, boom, read with the computer, you hear the Apple start, oh, oh man. Lost 15 minutes of my 45 minute set. That's the worst. <laughs> oh, oh, that sucks. Uh, so, yeah, you know, the stuff will happen at like, like you have no crashes for six years and then at a high stakes moment, uh, uh, you'll, you'll, something will happen like that. And yeah. you just, and you're enough, then you're over prepared, then you're ready. Yeah, and ready. That's one reason I started doing a deep dive and learning more about redundancy and redundant rigs for anybody I've worked with or even for my own sets. And I suppose that's like standard now of the, the two computer setup. And it's like, a, is there a device that automatically will switch over? Yeah, the iConnect is really probably the most popular interface for that. Um, mini or audio. Um, it's made to be able to run two laptops. It's really easy. Actually, you just plug in basically um, your connection, Thunderbolt or USB, I think. And then, um, if a signal goes down, you have like a line with signal and basically it'll switch over in setting. And you'll have the, the two computers would play on uh, same time code or something. Yeah. So it's, yeah, you could use time code. It's so smart cause it's like, it's not like bringing an extra laptop is that big of a initiative. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't need the abattoir really be fitting in your bag the same day. Oh, it totally is. Yeah. And it's. Yeah, iConnect is definitely worth looking into for Angel that must do some kind of redundancy, um, for sure. And I love their interface. I love their, I have their Mio, their Mio XL for my MIDI interface in my studio, um, which could also do that redundancy as well, falling too. But uh, that thing is the tank, especially when you have so many MIDI connections that you're flying here, being into on um, computer. Yeah. But, but yeah, uh, shout out to Laura Eskadet. She taught a uh, master track class. I don't know, I have like track creatives and she does playback for like Billy Irish. I mean, just like the weekend and all those people. Wow. Oh, I think I met her when she was at M Audio. Probably. Or she won the artists or she worked with them. Yeah, way right back. Yeah, she's brilliant. She's, she's a real OG in that playback world for sure. Yeah. Actually, speaking of Coachella disasters, uh, electronic creative, they actually asked me to do a playback for a very, very well-known artist uh, that was going to be a Coachella. And then uh, I got a call like a couple of days before I was supposed to fly out for it. And they said, um, this artist only wants a female team for a tour. Um, I'm like, that's cool. If I get it, it's fine. So uh, apparently her show went down, her rape went down at Coachella on main stage. Uh, and she had to do an entire set a cappella with her dancers. Wow. And there was, and I was like, well, that could have been me. <laughs> yeah, I would have ruined my career. That would have been really terrifying. Did you see when uh, Castiate and Dead Nose, when they did the KX5 thing and the power went out to like 20 minutes? No. Like they, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's out of your control and you gotta, and what are you gonna do with yeah. uh, like power, like when they're just drawing touch hour. Yeah, and somebody got fired. Yeah, somebody got fired. I think that's what anybody said. <laughs> Yeah, that's rough, man. At, at SoFi Stadium. It was SoFi Stadium was the Coliseum. It was a big, big thing. That's like my biggest fear. Like, you know, my dream that night because that night is like doing a big redundant for a big artist. It was just crashing. I mean, yeah. Well, hey, man, uh, this has been really awesome. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. I know we're running short on time. I know you have to get to your gig. Yeah. Um, 
but it's any last thoughts, questions, things you'd like to say to the people before we dip out and go to the show? Um, actually, yeah, check out the check out the card deck. Um, I have t- there's 20 decks left, and that's that's why I got the 3D earning stuff. As I was I'm custom designed a, a new deck holder for them, so it's yeah. a special crazy palette case that's designed to just be a limited edition thing. So um, I think there's 56 or 60 cards in them. But they've gotten this amazing reaction, even from writers and, and you know people in the entertainment industry, even beyond music designers. So really proud of these. I'm just excited to check them out. And hopefully I'll get another batch guaranteed soon. But we do these like flash sales. Like I'll make the hundred. We'll sell it out. We'll go on to the next one. Yeah, and these are designed to like help people get into like the state of producing or different ideas yeah. or toasts. Yeah, get into a flow either. state, and they help. Yeah. They they get some. You know, some are more music focused. Others more general. Um, like one of them is like the rule of three that your brain can like really cognitively focus on three musical elements happening at once. Mm. And you work with these limits. Um, another one is like the, the about circadian rhythms that you basically, your brain works best for music, a creative jazz, like morning and night, middle of the day, it's kind of a black hole. You no excuse for not making music in the middle of the day, but if you follow these rules, it's up. If you don't follow these, it's like fighting grassy. I mean, you know, you might as well work when you're most productive, but when your logic rate is weak. In the morning and night, it's just such an easy time to make music. Yeah. These are all things that help me and I hope they help people. And every card helps is a different one resonates with people, uh, he, you know, differently. So like some people, there's one that's about color coding your cables and creating uh, and naming nomenclature to them like a naming series. You know, name all your Samsung T5 drives after Marvel characters or colors or planets or whatever. Add novelty to studio. And all these little things help you get into that flow state faster so you're not you know the, the plumbing the studio and the, the non-creative parts throughout this throughout the process of me for music so you can get that career state and stay there not switch between left brain right brain left brain mm. yeah that's really cool i know quincy jones i forget what he called it exactly but he said that whenever he had his best moments of inspiration he would kind of do something similar where you're talking about like time of the day when your brain is like in that flow state he would um, literally get to a point of where he would lay down on his back and put his legs on top of his bed. And he would just get to the point of where he almost drifted off to sleep. Or the album steps, yeah, the alpha state, exactly. Yeah. And Rick Rubin. Yeah, spent half his time laying down. Yeah, and then once he was about to, like, kind of get in bed, then stay or fall asleep, then he would get up and start writing. That's when a lot of his best work would come out. That's a good reminder to do that in the studio. To always have a couch in the studio. Because I find myself leaning back in my chair and I'm thinking I'm just lazy. I'm like, no, I'm just doing Quincy Jones method. Right. right. But it's true. It's, all this stuff is, it's helpful. You you have to know how to mind your subconscious and do it intentionally. And at first, then you forget the character. You work with it, that intentional process. But I think if you can get to that place and do it regularly, yeah, all the better. Yeah, 100%. Actually, that little bottle in front of me is there for a reason. That's yours. Oh, I think Magic Mind, they sponsored the podcast. They sent me a ridiculous amount of those. And at first, I thought it was a hoax. Um, but it's, they advertise it helps you get at the flow. So it's um, oh. like really, really high quality matcha um, and like tea and uh, ashwagandha and um, like a bunch of different types of roots. It's all like natural, organic ingredients. But I don't like reading olive oil. Yeah, I guess so. Right. I think that's like kind of the base. Oh no, that's the magic. That's the pasteurized one. And the, the first we get is matcha green tea. Yeah, it it kind of it tastes pretty good. I mean, for being like a bunch of grass type of 
type of flavors. It's actually pretty delicious, but I take one of those usually before the podcast or before like I'm trying to like focus and it helps you like relax and get rid of like anxiety and just puts you in like a focused state of mind. It's actually really nice. Cool. It can turn into coffee for a lot of people, but yeah, if you want a couple to go, you can share them around. Is this uh, airport travel friendly? I think so. Yeah, so you should be having any weed in there. Yeah, it should be every. But yeah, man. Well, thanks again for joining the podcast. Like I said, I've been a longtime follower and um, stoked for all the future things you got releasing. Where's the best place for people to connect with you? I know that um, you mentioned the cards. That's available on Morgan Dash. H.com, right? You can do the cards um, so the MP Quick Tips. The best way to reach me is uh, Instagrams at Morgan on Instagram. You can do mpquicktips.com. The cards are linked down there. There's also uh, MP Quick Tips on Instagram as well. And I'm going to start doing more live streams where I focus on the cards and how to apply them because I think it's it's one thing to make cards. It's another thing to, to know how to fit them into, make them actionable. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason I made the cards. Was like, I want you to have them sitting by their studio setup and not have to be like, I'm going to do a book for me, chapters. It's, I mean, here's some things. You can focus on three cards or focus on the yeah. card in your session. Yeah. And so if it's helpful. So hopefully people, you can see samples of the cards on Instagram and see this something exciting, but I'm going to fire the store back up soon because they sold out. So I'm going to put the last 20 up. It's been cool. And I already did that next week. So yeah. Congrats, man. Yeah. Thank you. I'm looking forward to checking them out myself too. Um, yeah. I love the quick tips and the stuff you've been cranking out. So. Everybody, make sure you follow Morgan. Give him a follow on Instagram, on the interweb, wherever you're at. And uh, yeah, man, maybe we'll have you back another time. Yeah, thank you. Sweet. Thanks. Thanks. Bye, everybody. And stop button. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. Do me a huge favor, if you would, and hit that follow or subscribe button wherever you're listening to the podcast. If you don't hate the podcast, please leave a five-star review. It would help me out a ton. Don't forget to check back on Tuesdays for new episodes. I plan on cranking out a lot more in the upcoming future. Also, if you didn't know, on Spotify, if you click on an episode on mobile, you can interact there and you can tell me what you think about this episode and other episodes. And it would be great to hear from you and see what you're thinking about the podcast. If you want to be the first to get new episodes and stay updated and get free new devices and sample packs and other stuff that I'll be sending out in the future, join the newsletter. Just go to liveproducersonline.com newsletter and or check out the links in the show notes. Make sure to give this guest a follow on the socials. Give them some love for spending their time. And once again, thanks for listening to the podcast. I will see you next time. Later.